This is Count Dracula, and I want to suck your blood. Ha 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 ha! What? He's black and he has diabetes and high blood pressure? Never mind then. Can I interest you in a salad? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, welcome to the Brothers-in-Law Podcast. I'm Sean Carter, America's, hey, the world's foremost uh, humorist, the only one, and my co-host, Jesse Hamilton McCoy. Um, Before we get started, you're going to notice in this recording some strange clicks and languages. This is because my brother Jesse got his... A microphone apparently at Radio Shack. And so you know how Radio Shack is. It's in a shack. It's not going to be so good. This is his attempt. But we you know, wanted to make sure you got a podcast. So we're going to talk to you today about HCBUs. I get that backwards every time. HBCUs. Historically Black Colleges and Universities. But before that, we got to get into something a little more important. We were talking about a number of issues that were of the utmost importance to the planet, really. And one of those issues was washcloths. Uh, specifically, <laughs> washcloths being used as something that's universal. Uh, what's going on with the washcloths? So we, we um, put the question over to our research department on Facebook to kind of get real actual answers from people as to washcloths, and primarily from uh, white people, since this is the, the vicious rumor that we've heard about them, and we want to dispel anything that's not true. The, the responses that we received from this poll were uh, quite eye-opening. Quite eye-opening. Well, quite, well, here's the thing I thought most eye-opening, is that people actually responded. Uh, I was <laughs> for two reasons. One, because this seemed sort of a frivolous response, but also because you know this is kind of personal. And a couple people say, you know, it's too personal. You, you know, you all up in my Kool Aid don't know the flavor. But there were a number of people who were willing to share the most intimate details of bathing, or as we would say, not bathing properly. And so we were very, very happy to, to, to hear about this. Uh, it turns out, I think that the rumor is largely true, not universally. <laughs> but I would say in our non-scientific poll, uh, that easily, you know, vast, vast, slight majority um, of white people are not using washcloths regularly. So one of the interesting things I learned from the poll was uh, that apparently trickle down is not just an economic issue. <laughs> uh, apparently, uh, some people feel that they can spray body wash or shampoo. Uh, on the top of their head and the trickle-down effect of gravity actually pulls the body wash to scrub the body. You know, that I found that I also found out that apparently white people have a lot coarser or rougher hands and so they can take soap and just rub it with their hands and that will scour all of the dirt and do all the exfoliation that the rest of us are using washcloths and loofahs and other things for. Uh, so that that was good to know. We, we also learned that in some cases, a washcloth will be used, but only on special occasions. <laughs> yes, special occasions. And, and the other interesting thing that came out of uh, the research is some people know better and they just decide not to. Like they were raised <laughs> in a household that was very pro-washcloth. Right. As they grew up and matured, 
they realize that the washcloth is obsolete. They don't really need to use that anymore. Uh, it's better to just wing it. Well, that kind of blew me away, and that's, by the way, I think an interesting cultural difference. And by the way, maybe not altogether negative. A lot of times, you know, uh, black people I know, we tend to do things that our parents did, right? So I give you an example. You know, for 20 years of my adult life, I drank Jack Daniels. And it occurred to me when I was 40 or so that I didn't like Jack Daniels. But I drank it because my father drank it and all the men in my family drank it. I went to my father and I said, Dad, I don't like Jack Daniels. He said, you know what? I don't either. And he had been drinking it for 40 years. (laughs) <laughs> but the men in his family drank it and so you know sometimes those traditions pass on these people said you know what we've been using washcloths for 100 years in this family you know what I'm going to break the chain so I respect that we, we were using washcloths for 100 years and we still can't identify where the source of the stench is coming from <laughs> so we're going to try something different in a new we also owe an apology or two though you know we got one guy in trouble um, his, 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 his woman or girlfriend, wife, um, answered our survey and then said, you know what? I use a washcloth, but my man doesn't. I need to ask him about that. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> there was an uncomfortable conversation that happened in one house. We apologize to you, brother. We didn't mean to do this to you. It, it happens sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, we're too early on to be losing listeners over the washcloth. Thank you, over the washcloth. <laughs> one of the other things, one guy, one guy had an interesting comment. He said, you know, he it was a white guy, he confirmed our theory was true, but then asked, maybe, you know, your insistence on using a washcloth has something to do with your need for so much lotion. Very viable point. So Very we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna tease that and get into it in a couple of weeks. We're gonna get into the butters and lotion, and so maybe this is the, the, our problem. And we've just not you know, we've been trying to get too clean and have been ignoring um, the wonderful skin softening effects of the trickle down theory. Oh yeah, you're you're washing away valuable oils and dirt that, <laughs> that you need in order to cultivate the smell that you're looking for and the level of cleanliness that you want to have and the moisture because that dirt traps the moisture in um <laughs> the the battle of the bar soap so uh apparently <laughs> we learned that people who live in households that uh didn't have individualized bar soaps for each person uh may be more inclined to have a washcloth maybe right Right, uh, right, 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 right. People who were on their individual bars. Uh, so th- I found that interesting. Um, for those uh, few who decided that they weren't going to use washcloths, but they are using a shared bar, uh, the the jury is still out on that. Well, one person on was was clear to explain that the bar they weren't you know using the bar directly against their skin. They would. You know, use the bar to lather their hands. Remember, they have magical hands. And then the magical hands would do the work so that you weren't going bar to body, you know, bar to body uh, contact. I think that's, you know, we learned that in health class. You can't go bar to body contact. You have to do (laughs) bar hand to body. That reduces the the, the, the chances of of, of, uh, (laughs) spreading uh, cooties. What what was not tested is we we did not test the brands of soap that people use. Um, I know here recently it's probably very popular for uh, Dove soap. Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure if they experienced the, 
recent boost in sales, uh, particularly from the white community. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I know they might have had a decrease in black sales, but I'm, I'm going to tell you now, I, you know, I'm going to lose <laughs> some black points for this, right? So I'm definitely going to you know, be a B-minus black person. Um, but you know, I didn't throw out all the Dove in our house. My wife okay. had just bought a new five-pack of Dove deodorant, and uh, I ain't that woke. <laughs> I, I ain't woke enough to get throw away five <laughs> sticks of deodorant. <laughs> I may boycott them when we run out. All right, but I'm gonna be smelling like dove for the next <laughs> next two three months. I apologize. <laughs> I've run out of options because whenever I go to the store, the only thing I see is dove for men and Irish Spring. <laughs> um, and I'm not Irish either. <laughs> By the way, when I was a kid, just just a curiosity, we didn't have the you know all the fancy stuff we have now. Because I have to confess. What I do is I get in the shower, and whatever my wife has put in there is what I'm using. So I might come out smelling okay. like cherry lilac or, you know, right. Christmas latte. <laughs> whatever she done put in there is what I'm using. <laughs> but as a kid, we were, as a family, down, 100% devoted to zest. Fully clean, unless you're Fully clean. clean. Zest. What you guys use? We used whatever was on the cheap side see so back <laughs> if, if we could get a whole five pack for 50 cents that's what we're using uh and i can tell you that that brand changes every year so i think we're from ivory to coast okay to dial you know, <laughs> whatever was whatever was cheap i think we only got off brand soap once uh and that's just your your regular uh at that time, I guess whatever the the great value, or I don't know if it's check soap, whatever <laughs> the off RC soap, um, whatever the uh, off brand was. And I remember one time in particular, we got off brand. It was like pink soap. <laughs> uh, I think it was a soap line started by Lusters, and it did not uh, did a lot of chasing. It didn't really do as much cleaning as it did chasing. So that's when we went back to to coast. Uh, you know, reliable coast and, and ivory. <laughs> I gotta tell you how different that is. It's so funny. So y'all were using whatever was cheapest that month, right? I don't remember any right. other soap in my house possessed. Now here's the thing is, I remember as a kid going to at least six different churches. I've been to, you know, Baptist, AME, MME, CME, um, you know, EIEIO. I've been to all of them. <laughs> all right, <laughs> but we weren't gonna give up. We were dedicated to the zest. <laughs> <laughs> and we had washcloths. And uh, anyway, I got to clear that up. I don't lose all my black cred. So we, we, <laughs> we had washcloths. But we could talk about this all night. But, but let's get to the most imp more important topic to talk about today. Let's take a, a, a step back um, and maybe you know talk about you know how you got um, to 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 fam you. Okay. Well, let me backtrack. So when I was in high school, I was a pretty good student. Um, and one of the things that happened early on was I was a good student because I started with a great GPA. Okay. And that GPA was established because my school enrolled me in one English and a whole bunch of gyms. <laughs> and I was having the time of my life playing basketball <laughs> all day, uh, maybe running on the track a little bit. And then, I, of course, I was a football player after school. So I just thought, life is great if this is what high school is all about i'm gonna love it and so then my mom you know was trying to figure out you know why was i always you know going to gyms and stuff and she took a look at <laughs> the course requirements and transcripts 
and was not too pleased about what the school had decided to register me for. Uh, so my mom went down and she let the guidance counselor know in so many choice words uh, that I was going to be taking sciences and maths and things of that nature, <laughs> and my schedule changed. And as a result, from that point forward, school got a little more rigorous. Now, um, what what I learned is people shouldn't shy away from honors classes. If there's anybody listening to this uh, who happens to be in high school, do your honors and AP classes because you know, a C in an honor an honors or AP class was treated in a GPA as an A in a standard <sighs> class. So, you know, my, my transcript didn't have the best uh, alphabetic, <laughs> alphabetic grades on it, but the GPA looked great. Okay. Um, the other thing was a lot of people don't know for the SAT, uh, they put your highest math with your highest verb. Right. And I I used to try to study the whole thing and say I'm going to master it all, and I couldn't. So what I started doing was saying, okay, well, I'm going to take it this time and master the math. All right. And I'm going to go back and I'll take it next time and master the verbal. And for everything else, whatever the opposite subject was, I just <laughs> didn't deal with it. Uh, and so what ended up happening is they put my highest verbal, my highest math, and ultimately that put me at a 1300. <laughs> um and and because of that, I had a lot of options for schools that were happy to accept me. Uh, so I submitted all my application materials to my guidance counselor, and I waited with bated breath to see who would want me. And then the acceptances started coming in. So Princeton accepted me. UNC Chapel Hill came in. Morehouse came in. Hampton. All these places. Now, notice I didn't say Florida A&M because that was not one of the schools that I had applied to. <laughs> Mainly because I didn't know anything about Florida right. A&M because I was from North Carolina. So uh, so all these exceptions come in, and I feel great. I'm, I'm on top of the world. I'm like, look, I got into Princeton. Let's go. Right. So they sent me the breakdown of tuition to go to Princeton. And at the time, they were asking for something in the neighborhood of $36,000 a year. <laughs> and my contribution that I had saved up was about 50 cents a year. Right. So, <laughs> you a little short, uh, little short. I get it, little short. Right, little short, little short. I looked at my mom and I said, "Okay, well, you know, what are we gonna do?" And she was like, "Well, I guess you need to join the military and be all you can be, because <laughs> <laughs> we can't do it." And we we wondered, you know, what is going on? And I got accepted, but nobody, you know, was giving me money. So we called schools, and I was trying to figure out, like, hey, you know, why why didn't I get any uh, financial assistance? I, I think I qualify. We are certainly under uh, the federal the federal guidelines. <laughs> and they would uh, tell us, well, we didn't get any application for financial assistance. Hey. Like, what are you talking about? We submitted all that information to our guidance counselor, uh, and they said we never got it. Come to find out, the guidance counselor had favorites. And if you were not a favorite, your financial, um, financial aid information did not get submitted. Okay. So there were a lot of people uh, in my position who didn't get any scholarship money, and by the time you found out about the discrepancy, they've already made their determinations for financial awards. Uh, so at that point, I said, okay, well, I guess college isn't for me, and I started talking to the people in the Marine Corps, and I was getting ready to go enlist, uh, and I figured if I have to do military service, I'm just going to jump in the deep end. And do the Marine Corps as opposed to anybody else because really? you know, 
if I'm if I'm gonna do it, I just want everybody to you know know that I went all in. Went all in, and uh, lo and behold, uh, the week before I was supposed to go and sign my paperwork, I get this random letter in the mail from Florida A and M University, and it says, "Congratulations, Jesse, you have been accepted." Now at that time, you know college acceptances were like a big scam they had like a 2020 special on them and everything so uh i was like okay obviously this is a scam i didn't fly <laughs> to this place right um and so my mom said okay well there's there's only one way to find out you know we need to just go down there and see so we loaded up our car on the Saturday. Right. we drove down there uh and we ended up meeting uh at that time the acting vice president of the school who looked at our paperwork and she came to me and she said, uh, yeah, this is absolutely legit. Uh, you, you have, uh, not just acceptance, but a full ride Woo! to Florida A&M right. to do whatever it is that you want to do. And I didn't give her a chance to renege on that statement. I said, well, right, <laughs> let me sign this and I'll be coming to Florida A&M. And that's how I ended up at them. And, and I think it was one of those situations where, it was the best thing that ever that could have ever happened to me in life. Right. But, um, you know, I just went with the flow. I didn't know. They said they would pay for it. I wanted to go to college. Um, and surprisingly, um, I didn't go to the military. And as soon as I got to college, about two weeks after classes started, September 11th happened. Mm. So dodging bullets, literally. Yeah, yeah you know, I, I, I understand that because um – uh, you got to be a special type. I imagine you, you might have got a, you might have got a discharged, uh, had a war broke out. <laughs> I, I know I would have been I like, I'd be like, I, oh, I got a hamstring. I, I could pull a hamstring, <laughs> coach. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my story for Brown isn't nearly as is interesting, I'm, but I'm like you. You know, same kind of situation where you know, for, for whatever reason, I happen to do well on the standardized test. And people think that's really mm -hmm. important for some reason. And so, you know, I had an uh, SAT that was slightly less than yours. Um, I think it was 1280 or something like that. And by the way, this is when it used to be out of 1600. I think now it's like out of 42,000 or something. But back then it was oh, a little right? easier to, I think it was like 2400 now or something. But they were able to easily calculate it. But it was a pretty good score. And, you know, I started getting my acceptances. I've applied, I think I applied to Harvard. They said no. Um, I applied to Stanford. I think said no um but i got into um it was brown berkeley and mit and i chose brown you're gonna you love this for two reasons one it was very far from california okay. you know i basically looked at it and pulled out a protractor you know and one of those compass things and i was like this is far all right this is far from my parents <laughs> because you when you're 17 you think you know i got to get away from the two biggest idiots i i know my parents let me figure out how far this is right so i measured that out it's about 2500 miles and you're gonna believe it or not i read that they had good food was, that's compelling well his thought was is that it's all ivy you're right i'm still able to put ivy on but i might as well not be starving right. for four years Right. Right. <laughs> and I have to confess, all right, it actually was pretty good food. I remember I'd be sitting in the, in the you know, cafeteria and everybody's like, oh, I miss how homemade. And I'm like, man, you don't know my mama. This is some good food right here. <laughs> Give me another chicken cutlet. And, uh, and, but here's the thing is, it's kind of like you in the sense that, you know, my choices are, you know, I want to go to Ivy League school. I want to go back east. And the things that were wonderful about Brown, I had no clue 
um, it allowed me to get you know because of the, their interesting academic structure allowed me to um, to get two majors um, it allowed me to study computer science in addition to get ready for law school it, it allowed I met my wife you know all the good things happened which I had nothing you know that wasn't my plan I just wanted to go and get something you know um, better than my mom's spaghetti and it worked out <laughs> okay. Uh, um, okay. now now the interesting is, is that you know so, so you you know, you're at this mostly black school I'm at this mostly white school we both grew up with mostly black people the culture right. shock I, I, well here's the best. so tell me this you know I assume that there isn't a culture shock or is there is it like a different type of black person than you used to absolutely so one of the the most beautiful things I saw when I got to Florida a now was black people from countries all over the world okay um, I, I, I'm from Durham North Carolina most people who live in Durham never leave Durham uh, and so to go outside of that and meet Black people from Jamaica, from Haiti, from uh, Europe, from you know England, South Africa, like just to meet black people, it, it really lets you know that there are a lot more of us in the world than people care to realize. Okay. Um, and and it just gives you different perspectives. Like uh, you know, we we used to have this thing we would call it the the poverty games, where everybody would just sit back and talk about all the things, you know, kind of bond over the things that you dealt with uh, <laughs> and being poor. Right. But I realized that my level of poverty is not the same as certain people's level of poverty coming from port of Point Haiti. Mm. Uh, <laughs> sometimes it, it takes that uh, perspective to start appreciating the things that you thought you didn't have, uh, but that you do. And on top of that, you also deal with faculty members. One of the ways that they get you is the teacher's demand excellence All right. and what I mean by that is uh, my English professor uh, she would slide a, a trash can beside her desk and grade papers as one of your classes and the paper if she got to three mistakes on the paper mm -hmm. it went in the trash and you got an F wow. and that was your term paper for the class so, <laughs> so everything had to be spotless and perfect by the time it was presented because their stamp is on it. But I'm curious because I've always wondered for uh, African Americans who go to the Ivy Leagues, right? right. We, we always want to live through you guys because we expect that you guys are, are going to be the leaders of the future. We're going to see you, you know, on TV, being president, being Congress people, whatnot. What is it like on a day to day uh, as a black person at an Ivy League campus? You know, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure it's any different um, than anyone else at that point in life. I mean, you know, because you're a young person, you're just trying to sort of, you know, you think about it, especially when you go away to college. So you know how it is. You're, you're 17, 18 years old. You're free. By the way, I just want to say as a personal note to my to my parents, you should be ashamed of yourselves. Um, and, and I hope you're listening, Mom and Daddy, because you really should be ashamed of yourselves. I'm 17 years old. I'm from California, all right? They put me on a plane a red eye by the way I can't even you know do regular flying I'm flying at you know 2 in the morning to Boston I get to Boston I didn't go to school in Boston I went to school in Providence that's about a 60 mile uh, you know drive <laughs> that then I get on a bus try to find my way to Providence by the way when I get to Providence they don't drop me off at the campus they drop me off in the middle of downtown Providence might as well have been Beirut and I gotta try to make my way up the hill <laughs> to the campus I'm 17 Right, my son when he right. went to school, he went to to Arizona State University. That's eight miles from my house. We drove him there. 
we we set up his refrigerator for him, made his bed, all right, and and basically, you know, my parents sent me three thousand miles away. I'm like, well, call us in a week. Good luck to you. <laughs> Should be ashamed of yourselves, mom and daddy. You didn't love me. You ashamed of yourselves. <laughs> but you have you know that young experience where everyone is just now. Here's the thing that's funny is so college, we were just all dumb and you know and basically trying to do all the stuff you college. You know, you you're, you're dating, um, drinking. You know, but when I got to law school, is the thing you're thinking. I think you're thinking about. Then brothers made that switch. So when I get to Harvard Law School, there's not any of that kind of like, hey, it's Friday. You know, who gonna pay for the forty? All right, or or, or, or the keg. <laughs> I remember one time mentioning we go to, to, to Atlantic City, and brothers were looking at me like I said, you know, let's go get some crack. They were like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I'm trying to be senator one day. You better get that out of here, all right? And so, you know, I think the thing you're thinking about when people are kind of, you know, like they know the futures, you know, at, at 18, you don't really figure it out. But by 22, okay. all right, then they had figured it out, okay, I got to be reasonable. Well, scratch that. Everybody had figured it out but me. So let me tell you what I mean by me. I, 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 and I have to admit, I tried to get it, but I, I, I messed it up. Here's what I mean. You go to law school, you go to like a Harvard law school. The big advantage to going to Harvard Law School is not that we have better books than anybody else, right? We got the same books, the same law, but that you're going to have connections with people who might be senators, governors, etc., right? So you're trying to make the connections. The very first day I'm on the campus, somebody wants to introduce me to this skinny kid with a funny name named Barack Obama. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, so okay. it's it's a it's a black law student event, and I'm there, and it's at a professor's house. So you don't leave a first year law student alone in a professor's house, and so they have a chaperone, a two L, who shows us around, and she's like, "Look, you know what? Um, that's plastic. Don't eat that. And um, you know that's a fireplace. Don't pee in there. And you know, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just make sure you don't do the obvious stuff, right? And it's in your Professor Dershowitz. Right. That's Professor Tribe. And then she says, "Have you met Barack Obama?" And I'm like, who the hell is Shaka Lama? <laughs> she's like, no fool, Barack Obama. I don't know any Barack Obama. I'm like, is he was he in the Commodores? She's like, no fool. Listen, <laughs> he just made law review. In the understatement of the century, mm-hmm. she says to me, you need to go meet him because he's going to be somebody someday. And the problem is, wow. though, is I think I'm gonna be somebody too. I didn't think I didn't see this stupid podcast right, in my future, <laughs> right? I'm figuring I'm gonna be somebody. I'm like arrogantly like, look, you know what? You go tell the Dalai Lama or whatever his name is <laughs> <laughs> right? that Sean Carter just got to law school. If if you want somebody to take him right, under right. his wing, I'll be more than happy to mentor the young man. Uh, but why don't you go introduce you to Michelle? All right, find me a girl. <laughs> Two things. The b- best thing about that is that conversation happened over 25 years ago, and only one of the two of us is still telling that story. <laughs> right? There is nowhere in the world that Obama is telling a story about how he missed meeting Sean Carter. All right? So we know who the fool is here. But the reason is, partly though, is, is like everyone's trying to connect and social climb, but I'm looking at it from the standpoint of. You know, how am I going to social climb? And if they had said, hey, go meet Barry Kennedy, that's Barry Rockefeller, I might have been like, yeah, let me go ahead and meet Barry. We, get to, we need to be boys. But this is a brother right. named Barack Obama. I, I, I didn't think he was going to get a job at all, nevertheless the most important job in the world. <laughs> and think about it. Had I told you 10 years ago that the President of the United States 
was going to be black, you would have been like, no way. And if I tell you, no, not only he going to be a black man, but he going to have a black man whose name end with a vowel. You can't do that. <laughs> the first black president, in my mind, was going to be named, you know, Thurgood, Booker, Jesse, you know, Marshall the Six. You know, some Jackson, you know, good, good, solid black name, right? You know, not no crazy terrorist name. And so you know, part, part of the lesson to learn from that is, you know, you, now it's too late now. But like you, you, everyone's trying to do a little social climbing at some point, but you're not smart enough to understand who to climb you know with right (laughs) Um, now as far as you know the the, the other thing about the students you know and this is just my experience but I think it's probably you know reasonable is that oftentimes you know a a student you have diversity you know within a a school like a you know an Ivy League school um, with with black students but it's a it's a much narrower type of diversity and the reason is is because very oftentimes, the only way you get from you know, you know to a school like that as a black person is you come through a prep school background or a okay. very you know sophisticated high school background. First, perfect example, you know, is that if you went to say Compton High, right? <laughs> you know, I, I didn't go there. I went to you know some sub suburban school because you need to have a guidance counselor who knows one that Harvard's there or not, you know, that Brown is there. You need to have a guidance counselor who knows right. how to get you the money. Right. Sound familiar? Right. You know, you right, need to have does. people who know how to navigate that, you know, that that that, that circle. And so very oftentimes, you know, mo- I can tell you, all of my close black friends went to prep schools. Now, they weren't all rich. Some of them, you know, were, were OK. But, you know, but they had gotten some you know, scholarship when they were, you know, someone took them out of plucked them out of an inner city school when they were six and been sending them so mm. so one thing is we're talking about black people beautifully black people but they're not you know Pookie and Ray Ray what? you know these these are people okay. who, who grew up you know listening to you 2 and uh, you know <laughs> and singing Adam Ant songs our game of we played you know we used to be pole game it, it, it would be really bad it'd be very pathetic right <laughs> it, you know be like you know, one year I didn't get the new Xbox I had to play you know, the, the Xbox One for another year until 360. I mean, something you know, crazy like that. Um, right. You know, I, you know I, I consider myself among the poorest people there, and I had been on a vacation to Hawaii when I was a kid. Okay. Right, and that's that. that you know, that's poor to us that I only got to go to the Big Island. I didn't go to Maui. You know, that's what. Okay. You know, that, that's the kind of black poor people we talk about. <laughs> um, now you told we mentioned something earlier. You you told me about it was sort of this you know camaraderie. Almost a, a generational. It's not like it's not whether I like you, this individual person, but you know we we represent this same institution and what this institution stands right. for, and therefore right. we have to be have each other's back, regardless of whether we like the same sporting events or whatever. Right. So, so one of the things about me, I, I went to an HBCU undergrad and law school. Okay. Um, and one of the things that they emphasize when you get there is the history of the school. Uh, and, and that's the thing that is the thread that connects everybody who walks through those halls. Okay. So, the so Florida A&M founded in 1887, and it was founded, this is part of the folklore, it was founded because there was some land that uh, one of W.E.B. Du Bois' students, a guy by the name of Thomas Desai Tucker, uh, he came down and he wanted to educate black people, but... Northern Florida is basically Mississippi <laughs> with sunshine. Yes, yes. 
So uh, they say, okay, well, the only thing that you're going to be educating black people to do is to keep, you know, basically picking cotton, the things that they, you know, wanted us to do anyway. Right, okay. And what he was clever at is he said, okay, you know what? I'll do that. Give us a little piece of land. I'll build it up and I'll teach them all about how to, you know, pick cotton, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So he gets this land. They give him this horrible snake infested <laughs> land. And he says, all right, well, I'll do what I got to do. Members of the community got together and they saw what he was trying to do and they helped him drive out these snakes. And in exchange, he was teaching people uh, principles that were not what he was authorized to teach people. Mm. So he started telling people, much like W.E.B. Dubois was big on black intellectualism and learning about the world okay. and issues on a socio-political pathway, he starts teaching people this, but then disguising it as agriculture whenever white people come to check on. But <laughs> 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 so, so he does this, and of course he convinces the white people that, oh, this is just you know agricultural talk, nothing else. And, and and made it and, and have retained it all throughout the year. So we're talking from 1887 to 2017. They've they've retained it. They've improved it. They've um, built all kinds of building infrastructure. But one of the biggest things that the school did to make light of what happened is the the story. You gave us snake infested land. We gave you. Rattlers with education. Okay. In, in that few minutes, all right, I'm talking about you know the history there. That is more history than I know about Brown and Harvard combined. <laughs> well, you know Harvard. That's, that's the first, the first school in America. But that's all I know. I don't know who started. I assume it's some guy named Harvard. I don't know. Here's the thing about Brown is Brown is funny because I know the guy John Brown. By the way, it wasn't an educator thing. I think he was just a guy who gave the money for the school. But the reason I know about John Brown is because anytime you mention him, all the black people want to, uh, and people of color of all, want to get his name off the university because he was a notorious slave trader. And so the university. Oh, this is the same John Brown that it, I was thinking. Exactly. So the <laughs> university, the university won't mention him at all. Right, you you go there for four years, you will never even know he existed because they're like, look, you know what? I understand you want to take the name off of, but we, you know, we got marketing materials and you know brochures. We want to reprint all these brochures because y'all mad about something that happened two hundred <laughs> years ago. So I'm amazed when you telling that story. I'm like, this brother is talking to me, you know, swelling up with pride about this school, and and all we're doing is like, seriously, every Ivy League school right now, all they're doing is going. I'm sorry, we were started by a racist. <laughs> we try to do better. Well, you know, in, in the South, that's how all of our schools. <laughs> well, that 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 is true, but we can talk about this all night. But, but let's get to the most imp more important topic to talk about today: um, homecoming. Okay, absolutely. <laughs> so it's it's homecoming season, and we've seen uh, at least I have. We've seen all the pictures of people having a great time and celebrating, and you may have felt some kind of way about it since you were stuck at home with, with your kid doing homework. And that's a, another story for another day. But um, one of the things that is so interesting to me uh, is the fact that different people look at their university's homecomings very uh, differently. So in particular, if you go to an HBCU, which is a historical black college or university, uh, homecoming is like revival. Um, homecoming <laughs> is a family reunion plus church, plus the fashion show, concert, 
and a really spectacular band performance uh, with scantily clad women around. That's pretty much what <laughs> it is for, for us. Um, <laughs> but some of my counterparts who, who did not attend HBCUs, when we say, okay, you know, when is your homecoming? Look at us weird and say, well, what is a homecoming? Is that a funeral service or what's that supposed to be well, so because we both had different backgrounds I was just wondering what, what was it like for you well and that's what it is that's what we got in this conversation you were like hey man it's homecoming season and I was that guy like where you going home to I mean you, can I come to <laughs> I, I had no clue what you were even talking about you know for me homecoming ended in high school all right, where we had a homecoming okay. king and queen and a court, which I wasn't on, and, and, that, and that's because you know, f- forget those people, the hell with you people. Um, and so I ain't thought of it since those her feelings in in 1985. Um, I <laughs> <laughs> I went to Brown undergrad. I went to one of their homecomings, but that was like the year after I had graduated. Um, and you know, and and basically hang out with my boys that I graduated with, and have not been back right. since. And it never, like I said, I didn't even know. I it didn't even occur to me, you know, when it was. Um, now you say this big event. I mean, are we talking about the kind of thing where, like, you know, people start looking forward to it months in advance? Are you, are you putting your clothes out two weeks beforehand? Like, don't wear this for the next two weeks. I got, I got to say this for homecoming. Well, if you're getting your clothes organized two weeks in advance, you've already missed the boat. Homecoming is one of those things that you circle the calendar date uh, a year in advance. Okay. okay. And uh, it, in going there, what you realize is October just needs to be blocked out altogether okay. because every October there's going to be a homecoming. And you need to, A, get your room in Tallahassee, Jacks the price up for every hotel. Okay. Uh, really, as soon as January first comes up the next year, all right, the prices go up. So even a fifty dollar a night room at an Econo Lodge magically becomes seven hundred dollars a night Ooh. because it's homecoming, and they know everybody wants to be there. So yes, you're paying seven hundred dollars a night to stay with roaches and not get the complimentary breakfast. So I get really, really expensive. Everybody's coming back for it. Now, what are they coming back for? Like, what's the homecoming dream? So it's, the homecoming dream is this. You, you have a whole week of events, and you start off really benign with usually a convocation that is a mix between a state of the university address and church. Uh, sometimes, usually, there's a there's a pastor who's giving the state of the university <laughs> address. <laughs> let me ask you this: I mean, and, are, are people <laughs> me, me you, are, are people you know catching the Holy Ghost? Are they are they are they, are they falling out, or is it just you know kind of a spirited you know Amen Amen? Is it white church or black church? Um, it's it's definitely black church. And it's usually designed for the older members of the alumni okay. base who aren't going to be dealing with most of the other events. This, okay. this is the homecoming for the people who are, you know, 75 and up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when they're going to say, oh, look at all these young people, and it's so great to see our university growing, and yeah, that's wonderful. God bless. <laughs> they're taking notes and doing year-by-year projections. They're going, wait a minute, we're supposed to be 7.5% higher than that. Okay, I get that. All right, they always have those people. Right. And right. then, so then you move for, into the, the fun part. Right. For everyone else, it's, it's a gathering. It's, it's kind of a pregame. Like, 
We see who's here, we see who came back, and we're hyped because we're unified in school spirit. So you go from that to a week of events that include guaranteed, no matter what HBCU you went to, there's going to be at least a quarter of a million step shows. I'm not a big fan of stepping, but it's also because I still have not gotten down the electric slide. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I've been to a hundred weddings. I've seen it every time. And really, black people don't need a wedding. All right, we're gonna let you slide the Super Bowl party at, right, right. <laughs> at the supermarket if something good come on on a, on a loudspeaker. So I mean, we're gonna do some electric right. sliding, and I still can't exactly figure out: do you dip first or do you move left? Anyway, the point is, is that <laughs> I'm a, I'm ruining a lot of black stereotypes. So yeah, I'm not a big fan of stepping, but it's mostly jealousy. All right, so okay, so you do the stepping, <laughs> and then what so, happens? So the stepping—that's that, one day. Then the next day is usually your fashion show, and that's when everybody who wants to be a model or any kind of entertainer, they have joined fashion troops where they learn how to walk on the runway and they get all these different fashions. And then after the fashion show, the next day, there's usually a comedy show. Okay. So com- you know, comedians, you know varying levels of fame and success will come and, and anytime that comedians come or anybody famous comes they're they're accessible they're on campus they're signing autographs they're taking pictures with people All right. because that's necessary for what's happening the next day <laughs> which is the concert and the, the concert is where people with aspiring singing careers come to crash and burn in a public setting <laughs> um, so, <laughs> oh is it like Apollo so, you guys booing people in it's like Apollo, but with more booing. Um, we, we try to give people at least, you know, just out of generosity, we give them two seconds to really get into the meat of the song. Uh, and then by two seconds, uh, the booze start. Let me ask you this. Is, it this is, is that tradition because everybody is just so drunk and belligerent by then? Or are these sober people just booing complete strangers? Um, it's a nice mix. It's a nice mix. So, um, it's, it's more so people booing out of solidarity. You know? like, <laughs> we're unified as a school. To Fair say, enough. This song is subpar. That's <laughs> Thank you. We, we can't all agree on exactly what we like, but we know what we don't like, and it's, and it's him. Right. I got it. Okay. <laughs> Whatever right. it takes to get that black unity, we got to get it. Okay, I get it. Let me ask you this: Is, um, is, is at homecoming? You're talking about a whole week of festivities. Do you even have, say, a football game? Yes, we do. But you know, football games at HBCUs are interesting because nobody really goes for the football game. <laughs> uh, we're we're going for the halftime show, the band, okay, and the battle of the band. Uh, and the the benefit of going to Florida A and M is that we had the Marching One Hundred, who's world renowned. They've played for Prince. They played for. President Clinton, they've played for kings and queens in Africa. Uh, and so just imagine a million people uh, all dressed to the nines who have great artistry, great skills on their instruments, but also can do splits with tubas and, and flips and all kinds of things that you just wouldn't suspect someone playing an instrument would be able to do simultaneously. See, um, see, no, so, stop, stop! You're blowing, you're blowing my mind here. Remember, I, I, I went to Brown. When I was at Brown, our band was it, the the title should have been the I was free on Saturday band, 
because every week it was a different assortment of people. My boy was in the band. I'd be like, you going this week? He's like, no, man, I was up late last night. Maybe next week I hit the game. Um, they didn't have matching clothing. Uh, you know, you, basically the rule was it, was it was like Target. Just wear a pair of brown pants and a red type of shirt, and you're good. You're good here. You know, forget, you know, and, and by the way, you know, we had a band that was very, very heavy on clarinets. Because, you know, nobody was going to go through the trouble of trying to bring a tuba from home. You know, you bring a clarinet, something you can carry in one hand on the bus. But nobody was going to go through the trouble of, you know, getting out in a drum line. Forget that. All right. Nobody's going through all that kind of trouble. And so I'm just amazed at the, at the difference of this thing. And I imagine that the highlight is the band part, right? Oh, yes. The highlight is the band uh, and the announcer who makes the announcers during the band. So okay. I'll give you class, classic example. Um, I was at a homecoming, uh, I don't remember the year, uh, but I was at a homecoming, and the, the Usher song had just came out, this is before herpes, before all those allegations, this the, the Usher song, the Usher song had just came out, it was You Don't Have to Call, Okay. and the band, while they're playing, and the song sounds amazing, the pageantry is great, but they make a, a telephone encircling the other team's band, and then they show that phone hanging up in their formation. And as they hung up, it was pushing the other team's band off the field. No, no, that I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Amazing. I don't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Man, we were lucky yeah. to just get all our band on the, th- on the field and going pretty much in the same direction. Right? But, you know, the idea of a formation, <laughs> you know, we could spell out brown, right? You know, if, you know, you were very liberal, it was, it was like an astrological, you know, thing where, yeah, you know, that kind of looks like a Ryan's belt, right? If you really, really, you know, put some imagination in it. <laughs> the Big Dipper. But we couldn't do, you know, where you could do something as, as, as discreet as hanging up a phone. All right? Oh, no. The exciting part. So they do all kinds of formations, and it's not uncommon to see people in the stands standing up with their cell phones or camcorders to preserve this heritage. Absolutely, right, okay. Um, and so we do that. Now, after the band finishes playing, everybody rushes off to get their concessions, and for all intents and purposes, the football game is over at that point. So everybody <laughs> I'm going to stop it. I'm going to stop it because I don't want to hear anymore. I don't want to hear any more about this. <laughs> this is ridiculous. I got to tell you, remember, I, I, I only went to that one homecoming and I was, you know, just out of school. But I have seen, you know, the 25th anniversary, the twin, you know, and the, and the reunion um, events. Here is how a Brown and I imagine most, you know, not <laughs> most non HBCU schools reunions homecomings are. You have a you know, like you said, maybe a presentation that's done. It's not done by a preacher. All right, this is definitely white church. You know, you clap very politely. <laughs> Afterwards, you go out to a little garden, and they have cucumber sandwiches for you, and you can have <laughs> white or red wine, and you sip wine with people, and you lie to them about how much money you make, and they lie to you about how much money they make, and you do all that <laughs> for till about 10, 30, 11 o'clock, and then you take your butt home. Um, and that, by the way, is a wild one because the only homecoming I've been to recently, <laughs> you think I'm kidding? I went to the BYU homecoming. They, they had hired me to, you know, go speak there. And, and I did, okay. you know, a, a talk for the lawyers at you know, so the law school and their homecoming, a uh, Friday evening event, uh, ended about 6 p.m. 
Uh, they had a couple glasses of hot chocolate. <laughs> Ain't no party like a Mormon party because a Mormon party don't stop. All right. And so I'm telling you, <laughs> this is amazing to me. It's funny how that, that works out. And the last thing is we got to get, get out of here. We talked to you earlier. And I guess the question would be this. Would you recommend to your children, who are going to have that opportunity in 12 years or so, to go your route? Would you, you know, send them my route? Would you maybe do a third option, send them to state school, save some of that money on both counts? What would you do? <laughs> yeah, because you know your kids ain't getting well, no financial you know, aid, so you need to think about that. I think with with kids, it's always going to be specific to what kind of education that child was exposed to prior to college. Okay. Um, and one of the things about HBCUs, I loved my HBCU experience. Um, I, I would say that at least I perceive that there were friends of mine who went to Ivy League schools or who went to even state schools that uh, because of the name that's associated with their degree uh, had opportunities that I probably won't have. Okay. Um, we, we do have a, a ongoing theme of, you know, what is the value of an A from an HBCU uh, as, as compared to the value of, you know, any of their counterparts. Um, and it's a, a hard thing to tell, but it depends on what my child is focused on. If I, if I know that my child's goal and aspirations to be, you know, a congressperson or some some position where they're going to need a lot of good connections, I want them to go to a school where they're going to be competing with people with those similar interests. Right, right, right. So if, if uh, that's the case, you want them to go to a Harvard if they want to be involved in federal government. Absolutely. Um, that's not to say that you couldn't do it from an HBCU, but, you know, as a parent, I want to I want to give my child the best opportunity I can to uh, <laughs> to do what it is they want to do. Right, absolutely. Um, and if, if and if you know they have the ability to get into an Ivy League school, it definitely is going to have advantages. Now, at the same time, what I don't want is to raise a child who grows up to be Carlton Banks. <laughs> I, I want to. <laughs> understand you know i don't want my child you know in the middle of the road screaming all lives matter <laughs> I, I want my child to understand that yes okay despite the uh situations and circumstances going on and despite any advantage that they may have we are all part of a group of people with you know, kind of a tattered history and need to be cognizant of other folks behind us because i'm very big on opening the door for people behind me and helping okay. those behind me um, to, to achieve some of the things that even I wasn't able to accomplish. So uh, I, I definitely think an HBCU is good for ensuring that you are grounded. If nothing else, uh, just to know that if you thought you were a hot shot in high school and you think you know it all and you have your uh, your term paper thrown in the trash in front of everybody, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a wake-up call. <laughs> it's something that... Uh, <laughs> It'll change your life. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With that being said, though, um, you know, we need to get, get out of here. People have lives to live. Uh, just we, right. we don't, but other people do. So um, anything else? That's all. That's all. We just want to thank everybody again for listening to Brothers in Law Podcast. Uh, feel free to follow us on our social media at Brothers in Law, and that's B-R-U-T-H-A-S-N-L-A-W. 
Take care, everybody. See you next week.